take your Bibles and turn with me to First Chronicles. <sighs> Some of you, God brought you to collide to break off that religious spirit. He brought you to break off that spectator spirit. That's that spirit that comes and says, I'm going to just check this out. And say, I don't care what you blog. I don't care if you like our Facebook fan page or not. Because I didn't come here for you. I came here for a move of God. I can't. So I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, <laughs> to your will and to your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, <laughs> I will trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes. Did I tell you to turn to First Chronicles yet? First Chronicles 22. Really, all collide is, is, is heaven practice. Because I've read revelations and I've read throughout the scriptures about heaven. I can't find a clock yet. Some of you miss God because you're wearing a watch. You're more concerned. It's, it, it, is, it baffles me that you spend an hour asking God to come. And then when he comes, you're trying to figure out when he's going to leave. It, it amazes me. It is a, it is a, I wish you would come to my house and ask me to leave. I've never said that to the Lord. Your spirit has. Your disposition has. Your position in the spirit has. I know you don't like it, but I'm helping you. It is, we are, we are a desperate people. That's why you come in all that traffic on a Saturday night. You think you didn't have nothing better to do? You came because you were hungry for a move of God. I'm, in the middle of the worship, I'm walking around sensing what the Lord's doing, and people are stopping me and saying, you have no idea what's happening right now, but the Lord's confirming everything that I've been going through this whole week. Because it's crazy how God cannot even say a word but speak everything to you in just a moment and change your entire situation if your position is right. If your position is right. Sometimes you got to see destiny just going forward and going, I have no idea what she's singing, but I'm going to sing a syllable, and hopefully, hopefully it'll come in agreement. I just want... I, just break the rules. Right. Did I tell you First Chronicles yet? I'm really not angry. I'm just passionate. I really am. Because I spent, I spent my whole life in church growing up, and it took me forever to find God. First Chronicles chapter 22, I think. Got a lot of scripture to read. It's okay. No, you can go back, stay right where you were. I don't know what changed, but I like the keys. Man, Michael, you're amazing. I was praying, I said, Lord, I didn't know if I can find somebody as anointed as Yahashua. Because Yahashua, he, he starts playing, and even when you're not anointed, he pushes you into the anointing. And then we we're at Yahashua's funeral, and this is actually one of Yahashua's mentors. I said, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> And he said, if you ever need anything. I said, well, as a matter of fact. And it's, it is hard because I, I told Destiny, I said, we're looking for a keyboard player. But listen, before I let some weed-smoking, whoremongering musician 
up on this pulpit. We'll be doing tambourines and foot stomping to the... Okay, y'all looking at me like that, but I watch these preachers preach holiness and then look at their organ. Can somebody tell the white people what an organ is? They're looking confused. Come on. I... Don't you, dare preach, don't you dare preach about holiness and your worship leader is sleeping around and you know it. Look how quiet it is. All right. First Chronicles. Did I tell you First Chronicles? <laughs> chapter 22. Normally I would make you stand, but we got a lot of scripture and we've been standing a lot. First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 7 through 11. Oh, 7 11. All right. It means it's an on-time word. <laughs> Prophetic people make anything up. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 7. If you've got to shout amen. amen. And David said to, the, to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house in the name of the Lord, my God. Verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of, listen to this, a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies and all, and all of his enemies around him. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. Verse 10, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Verse 11, now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said to you. Now jump over to 1 Chronicles 17. I know this is a lot of scripture, but some of us haven't read any all week, so it's all good. Make up for it. First, anybody love the word? Come on. I think we ought, to be, we ought to be biblically literate. We ought to know the word. First Chronicles 17. We're going to start at verse 7. We're going to go from verse 7 to 14. I got a word for you tonight. First Chronicles chapter 17, verses 7 through 14. Just before we read this, what we just read, last, if you weren't here last month, you need to make sure that you get the CD from last month because I'm backtracking to, to do some setup, and I'll explain in just a minute why. Um, but what we just read was David had a desire, not a word from the Lord, a dream or anything like that. He had a desire because some things that you do for the Lord, he doesn't have to speak to you to do it. If you're married and your husband has to, or your wife rather, has to tell you what to do to bless her every time something's wrong in the marriage. There ought to be some times where you have a desire to bless your wife and you do it out of that. So for David, that was this for him. He said to the Lord, I want to build you a house. And the Lord said, you cannot build me a house because you are a man of war. There's too much blood on your hands. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7, all the way to 14. This is uh, mostly David getting the same words, just so you don't get confused, just in a different way. Verse 7, now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel, and I have been with you whenever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and you made you an, and made you, and I have made you a name like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people. Listen up. He's saying, he's saying I, I know what you want to do for me, David, but check out what I did for you. Look at verse 9. He says, this is what I'm going to do for Israel. He says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them 
and they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Verse 10. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 12, he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him who was before you, Saul. Verse 14, and I will establish him in my house, and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established. Just do me a favor, high-five your best-looking neighbor and just tell them the fight is over. Come on, find the other, the second best-looking one and tell them the fight is over. God bless this word. Um, I, I love David, and I know oftentimes we look at David and we think David was just this sentimental, emotional, kind of bipolar uh, songwriter, kind of uh, poet or whatever. But David was not just romantic. He was not just sensitive. He was crazy, y'all. He was a crazy uh, man of war. One, and, and not only that, you know you're crazy when you disciple people and make them crazier than you. Crazy begets crazy. So I'm, I'm scared of pastors where I go to their youth group and the youth group is dead. I'm scared of going to churches, and churches are dead. And then you want to blame it on the people. Well, I wonder, okay, I'll leave that one alone. Um, David raises up such crazy people of war that one day all David says is that I'm thirsty. Never tells him to go to 7-Eleven, never tells him to go get him a bottle of water. All he says is that I'm tired and I'm thirsty. And his boys went to the enemy's camp and got him water. Just like crazy stuff. Crazy things are happening with David because David is a man of war. David all his life has been a fighter. And so when we read this text, we got to understand that David's heart is pure. David's not trying to get a bigger increase in his Facebook following. He's not trying to have more people retweet him. David has a simple desire. Listen, I've fought so many wars, and God has been good, and the success of all my wars has been the presence of God. He says, we've been traveling with the presence of God, and he looks and he says, Check this out. I've got this beautiful place that I'm living in, and God doesn't have a beautiful place for him to live in. And I've got to debunk this thing that says Jesus shows up on the New Testament, and then that's when God wanted to be with his people. Because we think somewhere between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, God changed his mind, got a lot nicer, and then liked his people. That's not the case. Ever since the beginning, God was trying to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. You know who the problem was in the relationship? <laughs> I mean, God would tell his people, he would tell them crazy stuff. They, they would look at their neighboring countries and go, they got judges. We want judges. And God would go, no, you don't want judges. They go, we want judges. No, if you get judges, your kids are going to die. There's going to be blood everywhere. And they go, we still want judges. The problem was never God. The problem was always us. But even in spite of that, God always made a way to restore the relationship. Even in the book of Genesis, 
I mean, like God could have just had his way and just been done with Adam. But God said, I got this. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we've got to shed some blood. Jesus isn't here yet. He, well, it's not his time to show up yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill this animal and I'm going to cover you. And God covers him, Adam talking about, and Eve. And he says, now we can have a right relationship. He, he, because God has this thing where he actually doesn't mind flawed people. I don't know where we learned in Bible college that we had to be perfect to be used by God. This might be surprising for you, but it's possible, and please, please don't walk out because this would be a bad time to walk out. But what if I told you that I'm anointed, but I still have struggles? I knew they weren't going to like that point. Especially for preachers and pastors because we want preachers and pastors to be perfect because truth is, Pastor John, we need a physical incarnate person to worship because we don't like the idea of a God that we can't see. So we'll make our senior pastors a God, put him on a pedestal, and when he's no longer God, we'll vote him out as if voting ever worked out for the people of God. This would be a good time for pastors to say amen. And, and it's like, we, so the problem has never been with the Lord. The problem has always been with his people. I even tell people, the reason, nobody believe, nobody's really an atheist. If you're in here and you're saying you're an atheist, you're a fool. I don't like that. It's the Bible. I'm just quoting the Lord. It, it, like, nobody ever, like nobody ever has a problem with God. You know who they have a problem with? His kids. It's like, so the problem is not never with God. The problem is always with us. And, and truth be told, I hear people say, when I get up to heaven, I'm going to go see Adam because I could have been butt naked with a six-pack and no cellulite. And because Adam ate the fruit and couldn't resist, I'm a gump. And now I'm sitting up here and I'm messed up and I got a, the sinfulness. And I'm going to be truthful. I'm glad it wasn't Adam. I mean, I'm glad it was Adam because if it wasn't Adam, it was going to be Dale. Especially over some food. <laughs> Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. And truth be told, let's not blame Adam for the same Adam that keeps rising up in your spirit. The same sins that so easily beset you. Before you get upset with Adam and Eve, let's, let's come back to, let's walk down your street and realize that every disconnect that you've ever had with the Lord, it's never been the Lord's fault. It's always been your fault. He's never left you nor forsaken you. But I don't know if it's been the same the other way around. But in spite of that, God says, I look at you. And I still desire to use you. Now, the, the crazy thing about that is that God is not human. He's not man. We, we get surprised because we don't know what's going to happen yet. But the Bible says that he is alpha and omega. He's beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He sees the end from the beginning. What are you saying, preacher? God has never been surprised. Even when you mess up. One of his titles is not Jehovah's Surprise. It's just not. God has never been surprised. And, and the thing is, like, we get so thrown off. And, and I hate to put it like this because I don't want you to run with this. But sin's not as big of a deal as you make it out to be. No, I'm not going to say it again, but I'm going to give you Bible. Because they don't like this. Because in the church, especially us Pentecostals, we, raise, we want people to feel so bad for their sin. And we do feel so bad and we're never able to overcome it. Look how quiet it is. All right, I'm going to give you a Bible. A, a, a righteous man falls seven times in a day and gets back up. So my righteousness is not dependent on the sin that I was able to sustain from. It's dependent on my ability that when I've sinned, not to give up. 
Because truth be told, I'm, I'm going to give you some good theology. I'm not righteous in and of myself that on my best days, my righteousness is still like filthy rags. This is why Jesus had to come down on the cross, stretch his arms out wide, let his blood be shed so that you could now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when God sees your righteousness, he doesn't really see your righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ that you've... Basically, what I'm saying is that when you got saved, you bought yourself a Jesus suit. And though you are not Christ, you're walking like him. This is why Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is why I no longer live. I wish I had some shouters. But Christ now lives in me. This is why greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Because this thing is not about me. So I want to I talk to all the people who've been walking in condemnation, feeling like I'm too messed up to be used by God. Have you read any part of the Bible? There's only one perfect one. And he lasted for 33 years on the earth. God, I mean, there's, there, there, there was no other perfect one. Gideon was afraid. He was a punk. And God still picked him. David was a pervert. You guys have never, if you stop reading Psalms and actually read your Bible, you would get the good stuff. <laughs> David was such a pervert that when he died, to check to see if he died, they sent a young girl in there. And when he didn't touch her, they said, he's gone. <laughs> I know y'all don't like it, but it's the Bible. Mary was too young. Mary was about 13, 14 years old. The, well, I don't have the education. Neither did the, the, the disciples. The majority of the disciples were under the age of 21 and were uneducated. And I know they were uneducated because even the Pharisees looked at them and said, these men are unlearned. That's, that's an Oakland term for stupid. They're uneducated. But this was what they said. They had been with Jesus. So the key to my spiritual success is not my ability to walk in perfection, but to walk to perfection and let him walk through me. I, I have to say that because I don't want you to have a picture of David being this great mighty man who only had victories. David had losses. Bible says in the season when kings should have been in war, David was at the top of his place looking at butt naked women. And the sin is never to look at the butt naked woman once. The sin is when you look twice. Mm -hmm. and, and, and David is up there walking around, and he sees old Bathsheba taking a bath. And the problem I've got is that this has got to be, and I don't have too much time to explain this, but this has got to be not just any woman but the wife of one of his close friends, for him to be able to see her that close, calls her over, does the whatever, you fill in the blanks right there. And then, if that's not enough, when he finds out that she's pregnant, he calls her husband home and says, you have sex with her. And the, 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 the friend is so honorable that he says, David, I, you know I can't have sex with her because look at how scared y'all look in here. It's all right. We'll, we'll make it through this. Just smile and nod. And, and, and David's friend says, I, says I, can't, I can't have sex with her because we're in war and, and that would be dishonorable. His friend, who was not even called to be king, had more honor and more conviction in his ability not to preach but to live right. Some of us would have no idea that you were a Christian except that you wore your t-shirt. 
I've, I've always been amazed that no matter what church you go to, the gossipers are always hanging out with the gossiper. I mean, there's no gossiper small group. There's no pervert small group. You don't break these down. But the pervert will always find the pervert. The, the gossiper will always find the gossiper. The liar will always find the liar. Because unless you are willing to live in such a way of holiness that your presence brings conviction that when I walk in, gossip ought to stop. There ought to be enough conviction in your lifestyle that when you don't laugh at the same dirty jokes, something ceases. David's friend, by his very lifestyle, puts David in conviction, and still David ignores the conviction. And David has this whole setup where he murders his best friend's wife, or his best friend, and pretends like he had nothing to do with it. And here's the crazy part. Pastor Nathan comes up. Let me tell you a story, David. Tells him a story, reads his whole mail. And David with his self-righteous self. Oh, my goodness. Whoever that is, you show me who they are. Because we're going to put them to death. Ain't no good to them. And Nathan has to look at him and said, I was actually talking about you, David. Ain't nothing like a real prophet. No, a real prophet will make you squirm. I'm talking, I grew up in the old school where we had real prophets, not these just goody two-shoe prophets who make you feel good so they can take an extra offering. We had the kind of prophets that when you saw them down the hall, you said, hi, sister, God bless you. Praise, thank you, Jesus. You hear about that prophet coming into town, you take your spiritual shower, Lord, I thank, I forgive me for everything I've ever done, everything I can remember I've ever done in Jesus' name, amen. Because you're not about to tell my whole business in front of the church. And, and David, as many successes as he had, he had just as many failures, and still God decides to use his whole life. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 8, check this out, 2 Samuel chapter 8, it lists all of the successes of David, and I don't have time for, to, to go to the text, but you go ahead and look at 2 Samuel chapter 8. The Bible lets us know he defeated the Philistines, he defeated the Moabites, the, Ammon, the Ammonites, the Syrians uh, of Zobah, the Syrians of Beth Rehob, the king of um, that thing, the men of Tob, the Syrians of Damascus, Toy, king of Hamath, the, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the city of Rabbah. He, he has this list of wars that he's accomplished, and here's the problem that I have. These are not wars that he did for his own sake. These were wars that he was fighting for the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, before he ever gets to the Philistines, before he ever gets to the Amalekites or the Ammonites, the Bible lets us know that he's got to fight some wars at home. You remember the story. The Bible says that the, that the, the prophet comes to the house and is looking to, to crown the next king and anoint him because Saul has messed up because you can be appointed and still lose your anointing. You can have a title and still not have the power to back up the title. You being a leader doesn't make you anointed. People ought to know you're anointed by the way that you walk and the way that you move and let the title follow after it. Some of us are so obsessed with titles, but we lack anointing. This generation cares nothing about your bishop collar. They don't care nothing about your ring and how heavy the jewelry is that you wear on Sunday. They want to know if you lay hands on my dying mother, will she get back up? They want to know, do you have the same power that raised Christ Jesus up from the dead? Does it quicken your mortal body? We've got to get over this thing where we're so obsessed with our title and what they called me. They didn't call me sister so-and-so. And don't they know that I'm reverend so-and-so? Baby, go sit in the back of the room. You can be anointed in the back seat. I've been anointed in a bathroom prophesying over a man with 
with tears in his eyes. I've been anointed in the middle of Safeway and nobody knew I had a website. You don't need a website to be anointed. All you need is the power of God. You better clap so nobody thinks I'm talking about you. You've got to learn that your anointing rests in your abilities to be in presence with God and not in your title. This is the only sermon I got tonight. Not only is he fighting all these wars, but David fights all these wars before he ever becomes king of Israel. He said, what are you talking about? Samuel comes to try to find out who's going to be the next king, and he lines all the good-looking brothers up. One by one. This the one? He's got muscles, but he ain't got no power. Another one. What about this one? He can sing, but he can't break any chains. He ain't this one. What about this one? He looks like a preacher, but the boy couldn't preach out of a bag. What about this one? This ain't the one. And when they go through all of them, have forgotten about David in the backyard. Samuel looks to the Lord and said, Lord, well, it can't be in this house. And the Lord said, there's one more. And I want to talk to the people who have been forgotten. <laughs> I want to talk to the people who never get called out for a prophecy. I want to talk to the people who sit on the back row and wonder, does God even remember my name? Because here David is managing to take care of his business, and he is being forgotten by his father. I know you can't tell me the truth because you came in here looking cute and like you've got it all together. But have you ever been forgotten? <laughs> have you ever been forgotten? Have you, have you ever had everybody say, I pray for him, I pray for him? What about me? Have you ever had the preacher? I remember one time I was in a prayer line and I had given a big sacrificial offering because I was believing God for a breakthrough. The preacher came and laid hands on every single person. And when it got to me, he skipped over me and prayed for somebody else. And I'm wondering, God, I want my money back. Before David even gets to be king. He's fighting a war at home. And I know you're not going to tell us the truth, but I wonder how many people are fighting a war at home. I wonder how many people are jumping and skipping and running through the pews tonight, but you're afraid to go back home because you know the hell that you've got to face. I have been a pastor long enough to know that it is sometimes, it is some of us who scream the loudest that have the most war at home. It is some of us who jump the highest that don't know what we're going to do with our backslidden children. It is some of us who praise the loud. See, you think loud praisers and extravagant praisers must have it together, but sometimes you've got to praise to keep from crying. Sometimes you've got to shout to keep from dying every now and then you gotta stump your feet just so the devil knows you might be winning right now but it won't be for long if, see I know I know I know I know I know I know you've got a war at home because your mom doesn't believe in your calling your dad would rather you be an engineer than a missionary and you're wondering do I obey God or do I obey my parents David is sitting here fighting a war at home, and his dad doesn't even remember who he is. <laughs> and here's the part, Tootie, that drives me crazy. That in spite of his father forgetting him, he's still taking care of dad's business. 
Now, this is hard for a rebellious generation to understand because unless pastor writes us a thank you note, tells us how much we're appreciated, gives us a big hug, and acclaims us every Sunday about the picking up the tissue ministry that we hold, we want to go somewhere else. But I wonder, can you be forgotten, overlooked, and still be faithful to what God called you to be? You're not going to talk to me. I know they put you in the back room and call you an intercessor and nobody even knows that you're there. But I wonder if you can intercede without anybody applauding you. I wonder if your breakthrough and your reward is the fact that you're obeying God. I wonder if you can be forgotten in the house but still be faithful in the field. Some of you are saying, God, I would be up where Pastor Dell is preaching. But God has you in a cubicle. And I wonder if you can be anointed as much in a cubicle as you desire to be behind a pulpit. I know you can't shout right here because we keep telling you that you're the greatest generation that has ever lived and you're wondering what is the dichotomy and the contrast in my soul but the question becomes can God trust you some of you have not been promoted because you're not trustworthy we can't you you can't be an usher for a year without complaining come on pastors help me out because I'm sick of trying to get volunteers, and if I don't tell you how awesome you are and how amazing you are, and Pastor Dale didn't text me, and all this other stuff, because truth be told, you're not working unto the Lord, you're working for man's applause. It'll go down easier if you say amen, I promise you. See, sometimes you've got, before you can handle the big wars, can you win the little wars? Yeah, when, when, I get, when I get rich, I'm going to tithe. I'm gonna, you're not even tithing off the $100 a month you're getting now. It got quiet. <laughs> Can God trust you with the war at home? Okay, let me move on because y'all didn't like that part. Not only is he warring at the home, this is before he ever becomes king. The Bible says when he finally gets a job, J-O-B, been praying for it, believing God for promotion. And he's working next to the king to whom place he's about to take. And here's the problem. The king is trying to kill him. Now, I don't, some of y'all are not fighting a, a war at home. But let me take a break and talk to the people who are fighting a war at the work. I want to talk to the people who are fighting war with your coworker. <laughs> oh. Because uh, uh, I've been there. I, I, I've been there where I said, Lord, if you take him out right now, I won't be mad. <laughs> I mean, save him first, Lord, because I want him to know you. Oh, but let him be with you, Jesus. <laughs> or, 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 or not that. I have young people who come to me all the time and say, Pastor Dell, what do I do? I feel like God's called me to do this, and I feel like God's called me to do that, but I don't have the finances to be able to do it. So in this season, God has me working here at in and out and Ashley? See, I pointed Ashley because some of you don't know Ashley's story. Ashley, she's, money. Um, and Ashley didn't always have money. Oh. Ashley went through how many years at Bethel? Four years at Bethel, call a God on her life, and God sends her to work at In-N-Out. How many? Four years at Bethel, all to be trained to work at four years in In-N-Out. Now, most people would flip burgers and complain. But she decided to be faithful in the war of her workplace, and now God has promoted her, and she don't have to ask anybody if she can take time off to go on a mission trip. 
Some of y'all can't clap because you're jealous, but I promise if you clap, God will bless your life too with your jealous, stingy self. Celebrate somebody else's victory. And we're fighting wars in our home. We're fighting wars in our job. And if that didn't get you this third one, I promise you it will get you. Not only is he fighting a war at home, not only is he fighting a war in his job, but the Bible says, Shalene, the Bible says that they, he, he goes up and his father says, hey, go take this bread and this cheese up to your brother. Go deliver this pizza up to them because they're at war. And he gets up there and there's this guy named Goliath. Somebody shout Goliath. Goliath is up there and David has the nerve being this skinny little ruddy boy that's already been forgotten to sit up there and go, why is everybody scared for? He goes, well, and his the Bible says his brother didn't really like him. They're probably mad because he's just gotten anointed to be king, and they didn't. And they said, just be quiet. And he said, no, 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 what's the deal? Well, there's this guy, Goliath. He's been taunting the children of Israel, and, um, and we're looking for somebody to defeat him. And David says, um, what do I get if I beat him? <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Go, go help with the children's ministry, brother. <laughs> but you got to watch out for little people who want to fight big devils. <laughs> Y'all missed it. You, you got to watch out for little people who want to fight big devils. Yeah, Pastor, can I tell you, it was those little crazies who had just gotten saved. And we, what we do, Michelle, is that when they get saved, we try to calm them down. What? Because, oh, they're just not ready. What? Neither was the woman at the well. <laughs> Y'all missed it. Because you think you've got to go through cemetery, seminary to do something great for the Lord. And this woman in John chapter 4, she has, okay, i got to find a nice way to say this because I see little kids in here. But she was a woman of ill reputation. That was good. That was good. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I ain't getting in trouble tonight. <laughs> oh, She was a woman of ill reputation, and she sees Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus. And the pastor, here's the crazy part. God calls her out on all of her stuff. Says, <laughs> this is the crazy part, because we think loving people is not telling them the truth. Some of you are going to love people right into hell. <laughs> Some of you leaders are going to love your young people right into hell. You, I'm not telling you to do this every Sunday, but pastor, every now and then, you just got to sit behind the pulpit and just go off. Just lose it. Just, yeah. <laughs> Come on, just tell them just how deep in sin they are. <laughs> Some of y'all don't like this because you're deep in sin. But I promise you. <laughs> and, and Jesus sits up there and goes, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not even yours. And here's the hilarious part. She goes, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think. Because when God starts confronting us, that's when we bring out our religious lingo. I didn't get it. We start being religious because we think our religion will protect us from the truth of the Lord. <laughs> I don't even have time to deal with that. But here's what I'm saying. She has an encounter with Jesus, and she's of ill reputation. She's in the wrong place at the wrong time, most likely because the women of her day didn't like her. And I probably wouldn't like her if she was sleeping with my spouse either. But that's a whole other thing. Reality show was started in John chapter 4. And here's the crazy part. A couple of verses later, 
She goes from being a woman who's known as the town whore to being the next Reinhard Bunky. The Bible says her entire city had gotten saved. And I came to preach hope to somebody that feels like you've come too far, that you've been in too much sin, that you're too far off. I don't care if you walked in here high. The destiny of God on your life will push past every addiction, every bondage. I'm telling you, you don't have a choice. You shouldn't have came tonight because God told me to prophesy that you're getting ready to be exactly who God called you. I wish somebody would shout. Shout for your son. Shout for your brother. Shout. How do you go from being a whore to an evangelist? I just don't like the way he said that because you forgot about where you came from. I know you're a praise and worship leader, but do you remember waking up in your throw-up from the club last night? Do you remember coming to church after Saturday night? Oh, yeah. No, because the reason people can't get set free in our ministries is because you're sitting up here pretending like you're Apostle Paul's first cousin. I've just never had any problems, no sin life. And truth be told, you've been in here fighting lust in your mind all night. Some of the biggest badgers of people who are sinners are the biggest people who are struggling with it themselves. And some of you like it when I talk about whoremongers and perverts and lust, because that's not your thing, but you're a gossiper. See, I told you they weren't going to like it. I told you. Because you like it when I talk about the little young people who are doing the nasty stuff, but your attitude stinks. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to serve Jesus because you have a bad attitude. You're an usher and you never smile. You're a praise and worship team member and you show up late all the time and you think you're better than everybody else because your sin is different. There's the same hell for the liar as there is for the whoremonger. There's the same hell for the gossiper as there is for the prostitute. I know you don't like it, but this is Bible truth because I got to get you correct. You're sitting up here thinking that because you've walked and you've got a different kind of sin... Down to about, about, I got like 10 bobbleheads left. Nobody's clapping anymore. David sits up there and looks at Goliath and goes, I could, I could take him out. And again, you got to watch out for little people trying to fight big devils. David goes before the king Saul and says, I can fight him. And for some crazy reason, Saul says, okay, I'll let you fight him. As long as you act like me. Saul says, if you wear my armor, then I'll let you fight him. But what Saul didn't understand is that his armor was for him. And it don't fit me. I don't care how many vocal lessons you give me. I'm not singing like Shalene. <laughs> yeah! The devil is a liar. I don't care what Bible college I go to. I'm not preaching like T.D. Jakes. I, I'm too big. That takes a lot of breath. I can't, mm-mm. But I do have a, no okay, this, let me put it this way because this will set you free. God wants to give you the anointing to be you.
God wants to give you the anointing to be you. You ought to look at yourself in the mirror and realize who God has made you to be. That he's made you the head and not the tail. He's made you above and not beneath. He's made you a lender to nations. You're a bad mamma jamma. You're the joint heir with Christ. The same spirit that raised him up quickens your mortal body. You have everything that he has. You're an heir to the throne. I wish... And and the problem is, you keep looking at yourself thinking that you're not good enough. But God made you knowing what you would be good enough for. The reason you think you're not good enough is because you keep trying to be Saul. And you weren't meant to be Saul. God bless your pastor. But God made your pastor to be your pastor. And if you're busy trying to be everybody else, who's going to be busy being you? You're anointed. With your own fingerprint. Everybody is born an original, but so many die a copy. And Instagram makes it worse. Because you're sitting up looking at somebody's highlight reel thinking that it's their real movie. And you're judging your lifestyle based off some fake photoed, copied, photoshopped. I just wish I was like, and you don't understand, their breasts are fake, their nose are fake, their ears are fake, and you're wondering why I don't look like them. You need to take your weave-wearing, mascara-having, chinky-eyed self, look yourself in the mirror and go, baby, you look bad. Everything about you is awesome. I like you. Some of you don't like this because you don't like yourself, but I struggle with depression, and the devil is a liar if I'll ever go back. I like me. If you don't like me, it's okay because I'm going to sleep tonight because I like me. I'm not wearing your armor. I'm not going to sing like you sing. I like me. I like my black self, my fat self. I like my good-looking self. I like me so much that when people don't like me, I get surprised. You don't have to like me because I like me enough. You ain't got to encourage me because I learned what David did. I learned to encourage myself in the Lord. I got my own prophecy magnet, and I give myself my own prophecies because I like me. I wish you would high-five your neighbor and say, you don't even got to like me. High five your other neighbor and say, I like me just enough. Sit down. You're making the Presbyterians nervous. How dare you insult the creativity of God? The price that he paid for you and you're calling yourself worthless? My Bible says that divinity came down and wrapped himself in humanity, stretched his arms up wide in between two sinners, let blood and water drip from his side, a crowd of thorns on his head. He died and bled and got back up, and you're saying you're worthless? You're worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for you. I feel like preaching. I feel like, some of you need to go back home and text that ex and say thank you. Thank you. Why are you saying thank you? Thank you for showing me that you weren't the one who knew who I really was. Because if you had known who I really was, baby, you wouldn't have left me. (laughs) If you knew who I was, you'd take me out to lunch tomorrow. If you knew what I was about to be, you would have smiled and gave me a high five tonight. Some of you... I sit next to people, I just don't like the way, and I think I'm going to get this nipped, and I think I'm going to get this tucked. I like me. Ooh, I like me. Y'all don't understand how much I like me. Well, that that just sounds wrong. I know it sounds wrong, but the only reason I like me is because he likes me. 
Some of y'all, this is a revelation for you. But God made your eyes chinky. One Asian brother who's going to shout amen. It's just going to be me and you, bro. Me and you tonight. Me and you. So you ought to look your old chinky self in the mirror and say, you're a bad mamma jamma. You got it going on. Some of you are looking at yourself, and I wish I was like them. And I, You know what an insult that is? The worst thing. I remember um, when guys, Terrell, Terrell's married. So wave your hand, Terrell. Yeah, Terrell. I, I don't know. Yeah, Terrell's married. So he'll, he'll, under, he'll be able to confirm what I'm saying. When guys get a woman a gift, it's not because, like, it means so much to us. <laughs> okay, all the guys leaving me. Okay, all right. It's all right. It's all right. The real reason why we get you to give, we don't even like how happy you get. What we really like is the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm losing guy points all right. No, we really, and the thing is, if we get you a gift and you don't react right, <laughs> then give you a gift, no, just sit up here, spend all my, all my money. In the, and the reason, let me tell you, the reason he keeps getting you more expensive gifts is not because he just, oh, I got extra money, let me just, no, he just knows that I got to keep making it higher and higher to get her more excited. Now, the thing is, I, I came from Israel. I was in Israel last May, and which if you've never been to Israel, you got to go. And I bought a very expensive shofar. And I don't like a shofar. I hate when they show up in the service. And if you're at a Pentecostal meeting, a shofar is always going to show up. And um, shofar is a, a Hebrew horn. Um, and and uh, I, I bought it because my mom, who's not here tonight, she'll get in trouble later. Um, she's very prophetic. She's an intercessor. And so it's significant for her. Because the shofar prophetically is a sign for war. It's time to do some damage. So I said, oh, I'm going to get her this. But the thing was, at the time, like normal, my mom was upset with me. But, and this is why I don't know if I'm ready to get married. Because she was upset with me for something that she did to me. <laughs> Look at all the women, women just sitting in conviction. Just sit. Just sit. <laughs> And we're going, how are you mad at me for, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I'm buying the gift. And, um, you know, I was mad at her. She was mad at me. But I was mad at her because she did something to me. And she was mad at me because she did something to me. You know? <laughs> so I saw her at church. Tried not to talk to her. Sorry. So I went. There's a birthday. Here you go. <laughs> Gave her the gift. We're in the church parking lot. She opens it. She goes, oh, my God. It's like, that's right. Because what excited me was her reaction. So here's the deal. Me and Chris, my bass player right there, I had to go in that, uh, Conference and we dropped by Paris and I realized that Paris is known for perfumes. I'm I was raised in the hood. I didn't know that. Um, and my mom likes very expensive stuff. She stops at Neiman Marcus and stuff like that. She she got the money for it though. Um, asking her to send me an inheritance. And so I go to Neiman Marcus, her favorite place to shop, and I go. Um, I'm trying to find a perfume for my mom. And they said, uh, Well, let me give you this. And they let me smell it. I said, How much does it cost? 
said, about $100. Mm -mm, wrong one. I said, how about this one? I said, how much is it? They said, $150. Mm -mm, wrong one. They said, sir, you haven't even smelled it. No, I felt it. <laughs> Had this one perfume, Pastor John, with tax, about $420. Now, that would mean more to you if you knew that I had about $421 in my bank account. <laughs> so I buy the perfume. And I, I've received colognes, but when I used to buy my colognes, I bought them from the Hood Burlington Co. Factory. And it had like a cologne, a shower gel, a shampoo. It all smelled nasty, but it was similar nasty, so we wore it together. Um, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about because you so whatever. Um, but... Um, and so, but when I got her this thing, it's just one perfume, and I'm like, does it come with a shampoo or a conditioner? Can I get a sample of some other stuff? Like, this is $420. So I get, and it's one thing wrapped in this beautiful thing, and she, I take it to her, and um, I can't remember if she was mad at me at that moment. Um, but I remembered how she reacted when I got her the first gift. So I said, here you go, here you go. So I got her the first gift. And she is beaming from face, like all over her face, because it's in a fancy box in Neiman Marcus. She ain't even see the gift yet. And she starts unwrapping it. And you know it's an expensive gift when you got to unwrap it a couple times. Some of y'all, I can tell who's poor. <laughs> and she opens it. And I'm talking about the case was so beautiful. The case was so incredibly beautiful that before she even smelled the perfume, that she got so freaked out and excited. She started hugging me. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is awesome. I said, lady, smell the perfume. And she opens up the perfume. She finally smells it. She says, oh, my gosh. It just smells amazing. I don't even need to use that much. It's just a little dab right here, a little dab right there. And it's amazing. And it, now, the reason I did it was because of how excited she got. Where's my men? Where's my men? Am I talking true? Look at how weak, okay, y'all tired, let me get you out of here. Come on, men, don't we do it for the excitement that they show? David shows, you thought, I forgot where I was. David shows up on the battle scene, and his desire is to know, what's the reaction to my winning this victory? Because David is a man. I don't have time to break this down. But men live by points. And the more points we earn, the better we win. And so when you smile, when you applaud us, we, you get more points in us and we'll do more. With, wives, please listen to me. If you compliment him, he'll actually take out the trash. I got a single brother talking about amen. He's a and, and, and so David, David is sitting up here, what is the reaction? And they messed David up. They said, well, you get, you get the, the king's daughter. Oh, do I? Take that. Not only do you get the king's daughter, but you get to never have to pay taxes. Like, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> He's new. It's all good. He's new. He'll get it. And here prophetically, check this out, here prophetically what that means. David says, if I win this victory, I'll get intimacy and financial freedom. If I win this victory. And so he says, I got this. David, 
take, take my stuff. I can't take your stuff, but what I do have are a couple rocks. Now, you've got to understand how laughable this is. Imagine going over to uh, Al-Qaeda or to ISIS and saying, I'm going to beat you with a rock. So imagine the reaction to David's boldness. But what i got to let you know is that it's not really about the rocks. Because I've heard people preach the rocks. My God, David had five rocks and there were five smooth zones, which means that they came out of the river. And the weapons of your warfare have got to be found in the river. And get some smooth stones and throw at the enemy. It is, shut up, sit down. Because it's not about the rocks. It's about the God who's throwing the rocks. Come here, Ariel. Come here, come here. Quick, quick, quick. Quicker, quicker. Come on, stand up here. You're, you look like Goliath. And David throws the rock. And when he throws the rock, the Bible says David, the Goliath falls. Okay, get back up. Get back up. Because you did not read your Bible. The Bible does not say that Goliath fell back. Goliath fell forward. Here's the problem, wait. Here's the problem. <laughs> he was getting ready to fall flat too. <laughs> Bless his heart, Jesus. Here's the problem, Shaleen, that I've got with that. Because according to the laws of physics, when something, an object is thrown forcibly in a direction, that which it hits ought to fall in the same direction in which that thing was thrown. <laughs> so I wonder if David threw the rock, but God defeated Goliath. Wait, I'm going to have to wait to get to Netflix, but I can preach this. That I know it looks like you don't have much in your hand and what you're fighting with isn't a lot, but you plus God is enough to win the victory. I came to declare to somebody, you feel like you're not good enough because you can only pray for five minutes. Well, speak in tongues and pray for every nation that you can remember because God will use more in that five minutes than he will in some religious man's hour and a half. I came to preach to somebody that you have exactly what it takes to win every battle, to win every war. You don't have to sing like Kim Walker. If you've got to sing off, no. Sing exactly how God's anointed you to be and watch him give you the victory. Okay, sit, sit, because I got to close. I got to close. Because you keep saying, God, if, 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 and God has given you everything that you need already. I don't know if you know this, but God's not creating anything else. <laughs> Mind blown. Because everything he's already created has a seed in itself to recreate the same thing that's in it. <laughs> this is why it's important that you watch out for a seed. Because a seed is not really a seed. It's a force with potential. Why do you think the enemy keeps trying to kill you at seed form? You missed it. Why do you think abortion is so big in America? Why do you think Herod was trying to kill every little baby? Why do you think in Moses' time they were trying to kill every baby? Because if I kill the seed, then maybe I can kill the force. But I got good news. There is an incorruptible seed. My body. 
What the enemy didn't know is that when he buried me in the dirt, he surrounded me with an atmosphere that gave me potential to grow beyond my capacity. It looked... Okay, I got to finish. Play something romantic. Play something romantic. No, keys, keys. Give me keys. So not only is David fighting a battle at home, he's fighting a battle in his job, and he's fighting a battle in his ministry. Because now he's been called to fight the enemies of Israel. But he's got to press through all of the people who say he's too small. All the people who say he doesn't have what it take. Well, she's new to the ministry. She just became a minister. He doesn't preach that good. I told you when I was 17 years old, people said nobody would ever want to hear me preach. And now I travel around the world and thousands come. Not because I'm great, but because in the midst of all the war that I went through, I didn't stop fighting. Some of us, we need to understand this, that the only way that we lose, listen, is that we give up. That's why I'm telling you, if you got to get to collide next month and all hell breaks loose, because it will, if you've got to come with tears in your eyes, just come. <laughs> because if I faint not, because I've got to encourage some people who every time you look around, there's a new battle you've got to fight. If it's not the family, it's the job. If it's not the job, it's the ministry. And you're wondering to yourself, God, here I am fighting all these battles. Lord, I took care of my finances, and now I'm being hated on at my church. I've gotten that together, and now i got these knucklehead kids. I don't ever know if they're going to come back to the Lord. They don't want to come to church or nothing. And you're saying, God, I just want... And I know you're not honest enough to ask God, but I, God, I want to know, am I always going to have to fight? God, just when ministry starts going well and we do our first collide and our music director dies of a heart attack out of nowhere, God, when, when will it stop? It's funny because I found out, Destiny, that if you're, um, if you're not in a battle, it's typically because you just left one or you're about to go into one. Because I found out that um, God will close one door, but he will open another one. Baby, hell in the hallway. And some of you came here tonight and you thought, I'm just going to press and I'm going to fight. Because I got some stuff I've been worn over. But what you don't understand is the reason why God brought you here tonight is because amidst all the fighting that you've ever had to do from your childhood, some of you were born into wars. You were born into homes without peace. Some of you, peace scares you. Some of you always got to have something in your ears, always playing music because you're afraid to be alone. Because all I know is chaos. That's why you are so consumed with your Instagram likes. That's why you're so, listen, I, I get you, I'm not mad at you. I, I understand. Because when all you've known is war, peace really isn't that comfortable. 
David comes to the Lord and says, God, I got an idea. You've been good to us. You've helped us win so many battles. You've helped us to overcome. But I'm sitting here in this nice house and things are going well. But here's the problem, God. You don't have a resting place. So why don't I build you a resting place? Why don't I build you this beautiful tabernacle, this temple where you can rest in and you'll have a resting place? Because God, I know you want to be with your people. I know you love your people. And so let me just build a beautiful facility so that you can rest and chill with your people. And here's what God says to David. David, how are you going to build me a resting place when you don't know what rest is? I'll never forget, uh, I lost a lot of weight long, long, long time ago. My grandmother said I did a better job of finding it. <laughs> Bless her, Lord. And I remember when I lost all this weight, I lost about 110 pounds in, a, in about 11 months. Yeah, whew. And I remember I had this personal trainer, and she used to get on my nerves because this was one of those women who had a six-pack everywhere. I swear I saw her earlobes flex one day. And she's sitting up there, and one of the things I, hate, I used to hate to do were these squats, man. Because when I did squats, this is how I did squats. One. <laughs> and she would look at me, and she'd go, that's not how you do it. you got to bend down and pull up. Bend down. Pull up. No doubt. When you get up, this, you got you to gotta pull with your butt muscles. Listen, woman. I've had this butt my whole life. Ain't a muscle in it. No joke. We're sitting in the middle of Planet Fitness, and she's telling me what to do. And I remember I got so angry because I was already working out for about 45 minutes. And she's just telling me what to do. Come on. And she's trying to pump me up, but I'm just getting mad. <laughs> so you can do it. I look at her and I go, no, I can't you, I can't say what else I said because you might not want to come again next month. But I did ask for forgiveness. And I remember looking at her and going, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. So at the beginning stages of me losing weight. Now here's the question, who really was the idiot? <laughs> you said that too loud, Ashley. <laughs> you boo-boo. <laughs> That's my ghetto prophet, is it? You boo-boo. And, you know, I'm a big guy now, but one of the things that I hate being a big guy is other big people telling me how to lose weight. That's kind of the situation here between David and God. Where David says, God, I'm going to build you a resting place. And God basically looks at him and goes, but David, you don't know what rest is. You've never had an opportunity to rest. So here's what God says. He doesn't beat him up. Listen, because this is very important. God says to David, this is what I'm going to do. I know you want to build me a house. But I'm going to build you a house. <laughs> Not only am I going to build you a house, but you know the people that you lead? I'm going to fight all their battles. Not only will I fight all their battles, but they don't have a land to call their own. So I'm going to give you a land to call your own, Israel. 
truth be told, many of us in church have never been flirted with by God. <laughs> We've never had an opportunity for God to say, no, 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 no. I know you came to worship me, but let me take a minute and just pour into you. And so, listen, our whole prayer time, I bind the spirit of Don Jesus' name. And God's sitting in heaven at the edge of a cloud going, are you done? Because there's some prayers I can actually answer even if you don't say a word. And I know you came to collide because I came to worship God. I came to build a resting place for the Lord. But what you didn't know was that God somewhat tricked you because he's seen your fight. Single mom, he sees the struggle. <laughs> Come on, young person. He knows about every temptation and every addiction that you've ever had. And I know you're yelling in tongues, hoping that God will ignore all the issues of your life. But God's saying, before you go into warfare mode, can I create for you a resting place? Don't worry about my resting place. Your son, you're going to have this son, this kid, he's going to be named Solomon. And Solomon's going to build a resting place for me. So don't worry. Your dream's going to come true. Because old men have dreams, but young men have visions. Vision is the ability to make your dream a reality. So don't worry, David. I heard your heart. Proud of you, boy. I see what you want to do. I know that you came to do warfare for your family. But, but can I go to war for you? <laughs> see, I told you, you thought that story was pointless. About how to treat a woman, how to get the gift. Because you love the reaction. But even though God is married to his bride. He still enjoys flirting with her. <laughs> Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's why you come to a service like this, and Destiny's up there singing whatever song she's singing, heaven song. And you're saying, Lord, you know I want to push in. I've been beat up so much that I don't even have the strength to fight. And God is saying, I, I won't you just come a little closer to me? But God, I don't have the strength. Because the crazy thing is, Ephesians 6 says, after you've done all you can do to stand, next word, stand. Wait, what? I just told you I've done everything I can do to stand. And you're telling me after I've got... No more strength to stand, to keep on standing. How? Because, friend, the first stand was your responsibility. That second one, that one was mine. And I came to encourage somebody. Because God's about to do something in this region. We're about to see miracles like we've never seen. We're about to see God heal cancer. We're about to see drug addicts come in here and lay drug paraphernalia on the altar. We're about to see pastors get their calling back again. We're about to see marriages restored. I'm, I'm telling you what God's about to do with the collide. I would be afraid to miss out because God's going to do some crazy stuff. But God says, before I do the crazy stuff, can I heal what your ex-boyfriend messed up? Come on, Dale, you just lost 
one of your closest friends, before you press in as the revivalist, can I make you whole again? Because you're no good to me if you're not whole. I wonder how many of you, don't, don't, don't answer, but I wonder how many of you came in tired. I know you smile and we would never believe you if you told us because you're such a mighty woman, such a mighty man of faith. But I wonder if I would be surprised to know that you're anointed and tired. You're a tongue-talking, Bible-quoting, demon-slaying, Holy Ghost-rolling, cast-out person, but you're tired. You're a pastor, and you're not going to give up if you feel like giving up. story and then I'm done. Is it okay if I'm a little transparent with you? When we first started Collide, I've told this story a couple times. And worship team, you guys can join them. When we first started Collide, um, God was doing incredible things, Pat. Spirit of the Lord was moving, growing the ministry. I was getting invited to preach everywhere was doing some exciting things. But I had gotten so busy doing the ministry that I forgot that my primary ministry was to love the Lord. <laughs> Truth is, I was not created for war. My initial creation purpose was to love and be loved. <laughs> but I forgot that so consumed with how many people are coming what's the numbers how big was the offering did we make enough to pay all the bills just pastor stuff pastor John trying to keep the ministry rolling I was still praying but I was tired frustrated and I've, I've realized that the enemy catches you the most when you're tired and out of place in the season where David was supposed to go to war he was at home that's when he saw Bathsheba it's tired. And here I was at the height of our ministry, thousands of people coming, thousands of people checking out our blogs and website and going crazy. And our email list is 10,000 people. And God is doing incredible things. And I'm the man of power in God's hour. Preaching and hundreds are getting saved. Thousands are getting set free and called into ministry. And here I am hurting, leading, and bleeding. I remember sitting at a computer. Bex will tell you. Bex is right here. Wave your hand, Bex. Please. There you go. She'll verify this story. You need friends like Bex. I'm sitting at a computer in my office. I'm tired and I'm frustrated. And I decided, uh, for some of you who don't know, God delivered me from an incredibly immoral lifestyle of sexual immorality, homosexuality, crazy stuff. God delivered me from crazy stuff. And in my tiredness, I decided to go back to one of the old websites that I used to go to. Let me just check it out. 
go back to the website, connect with somebody, and start having an online relationship. Wow. Still preaching. God is able to set free. God is able to deliver. God, I'm going back home. I don't know if God can set free. Because while I'm trying to go to war, God is saying, can we take a break? Can I pour into you? Long story short, almost got connected with this person, and it happened to be somebody that Bex knows. Word got back to Bex, and I love Bex. Man, good friends call you out. If your friends never tell you about your sin, get new ones. And Bex snitched on me, y'all. I went to my pastor and told him. Pastor called me into the office, and I'm thinking he wants to tell me what he wants me to preach or whatever. And he sits down and lays out the whole situation. And he says to me, he says, um, in spite of the situation, is it okay for you to sit out from ministry for about eight months? <laughs> I can't sit out from ministry for eight months, Pastor. I mean, this is how I make my money, my bread and butter. I know, but do you trust that God will build you a house even though your intentions is to build him one? Do you trust him? Eight months. Sat down from ministry, getting poured into, didn't preach, didn't minister, didn't grab a mic. I think I might grab the mic to pray here and there, but that's about it. And eight months of warning. And never went one month without rent being paid. Never went one month. Do I look like I'm starving? Because here's really the bottom line. Do you trust God enough? That even though your heart is desiring to take care of his business, do you trust him enough to let him take care of yours? Don't you dare lay hands on Jezebel if Jezebel's got a hold of you. Don't you dare try to cast out demons that you're struggling with on the inside. And not all of us are, is our problem addiction. Some of us, we're just angry. We're bitter. We're hurt. We're wounded. So here's what I want to ask. Do you have enough boldness? I know you came with somebody and you don't want them to know because you're a leader and you got it all together. <laughs> I want to offer this to you. Many of you have been at war just with life and you're spiritually tired and fatigued and you need to be refreshed, restored, delivered, set free, healed, something, something. I don't know what it is, but you got something and God is speaking to that thing. If you need God to build you a resting place tonight, will you have enough boldness to come to the altar and let God do it? I know this isn't an altar call for everybody. But for a few of us, I'll be honest. It'll be true. I know you came with somebody. They'll wait for you, I promise. They won't leave without you. you but you're tired. You've had to fight all your life. Come on, Miss Seeley. You've been hurting all your life. 
and you've never dealt with it. Destiny, can you sing this song for us? Because I believe as we rest, and yeah, we got some ministers that are going to lay hands on you, but before they do, for just a moment, will you let the Lord lay hands on you and draw, go ahead, Destiny, and just let the Lord draw you a little bit closer tonight? Because he actually longs to come closer. He wants to bring you closer. me Come on. And all I want to be. Come on, friend. You, you and I both know you're tired. You're struggling. It was hard to focus in worship because you're so tired. Some of you, your heart hasn't been soft in the presence of God in a long time. I'm telling you, if you keep coming to Clyde, we're going to have some deliverance days where the Lord cast out some stuff and you're rocking all over the floor. But tonight's one of those nights where the Spirit of the Lord says, peace, peace, deal. Your love has ravished my heart and taken me Come on, friend. Come on, friend. Come on, friend. You need this rest. Me like David, you had to fight ministry, fight in your work, fight in your family. I got good news. The fight is over. <laughs> Come on, ministry team, go for it. And ministry team, if you need to be at this altar, don't you dare start laying hands on people, and you need to come and rest. <laughs> of God in a long time. Your heart's been so heavy and burdened, so hard. But God wants to end your fight tonight. He's taking all the unforgiveness, all the bitterness. right there in your seat. Just begin to worship the Lord. Just begin to worship the Lord. God's filling people up at this altar. Jesus. Come on, just give him that unforgiveness. I know this isn't as loud and as hyped up as you're used to being at Collide, but before we go to war, we've got to learn how to rest. Come on, you don't have to fight anymore. 
This battle isn't yours. This battle is the Lord.